Wilcox, a.k.a. The Chicken Man, a.k.a. t Willie, and you're listening to 101.7 FM WKOM, Columbia, Tennessee. You're listening to Bulletproof Estate Planning, the show where you gain clarity and understanding about such things as last will and testament, the probate process, trusts, and how not to lose everything you own to the high cost of the nursing home. Now here's your host, Estate Plan Stan. Hey, good day to you. Good day to you on this July the 15th. You are listening to Bulletproof Estate Planning with your host, Estate Plan Stan. I am Stan Perchowski with Perchowski Estate Law, Perchowski Elder Law, located on the square in beautiful downtown Pulaski, Tennessee. Bulletproof Estate Planning is a show where we talk about all things estate planning. If it's about estate planning, we talk about it at some time or other on this show. We talk about last will and testament. We talk about revocable living trusts. We talk about special needs trust. Then we talk about asset protection trust. And the kind of trust we need to uh, prepare for ten care. And we also talk about ten care planning, both pre-planning and crisis planning, to help keep you from going broke in the nursing home. As always, I encourage questions. I mean, this show is all about education on what your options are. That's my goal with this show. So if you have a question, you can call me at 931-363-7222 or go to my website at estateplanstand.com. That's E-S-T-A-T-E-P-L-A-N-S-T-A-N.com, estateplanstand.com. There you can find my email and you can ask that way. Or get my phone number and call me if you forget it. Um, I always enjoy doing this show here on Front Porch Radio, WKOM, 101.7 FM in Columbia, Tennessee. And I want you to keep in mind that all my episodes are posted as podcasts on the WKOM website. So if you ever miss one or you just want to go back and review a topic, uh, it's all right there for you to go do so. So stay with it. All right. So seminar coming up. Next seminar coming up is July the 29th, and that is a Saturday. Seems like we're doing more and more Saturday ones now. It just seems like that's more convenient for people. So uh, we're doing July the 29th is a Saturday. We always do Saturday seminars at 10 o'clock in the morning, and so this one's going to be the same. And it's going to be at the Star Theater, which is right on the square in Pulaski. The address is 105 North 1st Street, Pulaski, Tennessee. Now, the Star Theater happens to be right next to my office here on the square. So it's on the um, east side of the square. Can't miss it. If you find the square, just look for the biggest building or a sign with my name on it, and you found it. Call that seminar the Wills Trust and the Nursing Home, and that's what we talk about. So if you, haven't, if you have not come to one of my live seminars, you really ought to give it some thought. I get a lot of great reviews about my live seminars. People really, you know, they learn a lot. They learn a lot about what their options are. And that's exactly what we're all about here. So uh, try coming on. Let me just tell you about when you come to one of my seminars, uh, let me tell you about what to expect. And that is don't expect a free meal and uh, everybody just shooting the breeze and, uh, you know, a little sales pitch. And, you know, don't expect any high pressure sales to get you to sign up for anything. Don't expect anything like that. What we do is this is a free educational seminar. And I like to focus on the word educational. So we'll get started right at 10 o'clock, okay? And it's going to be nonstop till about 11 or 
uh, nonstop, fact, nonstop information about this concept of wills and trust in the nursing home. And so, you know, it's not going to be, there'll be some light refreshments there, of course. Uh, Miss Tammy always has something prepared. So you have something there to eat and drink, but uh, it's not about that. You know, we do that just to have something there for you. But, uh, you know, it's going to be this presentation where most people that come are interested and they're just darn right thirsty for this knowledge. And so I don't want to cheat anybody that's coming a long way to uh, hear what I have to say because I've got people drive. I think my record is like four and a half hours one way to be at one of my seminars. So if someone's coming to hear what I have to say, that's what we're going to spend our time talking about. I also don't let the meeting get sidetracked with questions. Now, I love questions. And if you have any, bring them with you. If you develop any during the seminar, write them down. The only thing I ask at my seminars is you wait till we get to the end to ask the questions. In which case, I will answer every question everybody has. In other words, I won't leave the venue until everybody's question gets asked or answered. And so, you know, so I'm, don't worry about it. I just don't like them during the um, presentation because a lot of times somebody will ask a question and their thinking is right on the money and, you know, the answer is coming right up in the next PowerPoint slide or two. And so just you know, listen to the whole thing first, develop your questions, then ask. But don't worry about getting questions answered. Uh, that happens to be my favorite part of the whole seminar. It's my fa- and I'll tell you why it's my favorite part. You know, I, I usually know the answer to the question, at least I hope I do. And, uh, what, but what, really I, what I really like about the question and answer period is that's the time when I can ascertain what's on your, your guys' mind, my listening audience. Uh, you know, because if somebody brings up a question, I'm going to tell you right now, my experience has been that a ton of other people have the same question on their mind. So when somebody raises a question, you know, it's not just unique to them. Now, every now and then you get that kind of question, but for the most part, even if it is unique for that person, the concept of the question applies to everybody. And that tells me what you, you know, what's, what's going on in your life and what your issues are. And some people will relay uh, experiences that they have, like with nursing home or with trust or something like that. And then uh, I like those questions too, because now we're getting down to where the rubber meets the road. And we're, t- we're talking about real life experiences, the kind of stuff you're likely to run into when you get into this planning field, or especially in the 10 care planning, which is where we're talking about now, uh, the 10 care crisis planning. So I want you to, you know, consider coming to it again, Saturday, July the 29th, 10 o'clock, Star Theater on the Square in Pulaski, 105 North 1st Street. Um, Give us a call at 931-363-7222 to RSVP or send us an email. Uh, You can go to my estateplanstand.com email and and send me an email. Let me know you want to come. I like a head count if I can get one uh, so we have enough chairs to set up. You know, if you can't commit to coming and, and you end up just walking in on Saturday morning, that's cool. Uh, we we welcome walk-ins. Uh, I just like to know so I don't have to scramble at the last minute putting up extra tables and chairs. That's all. I mean, there's inevitably folks who can't make it at the last minute, and there's inevitably those who can and just walk in. So don't feel like it's a, it's not a formal registration. We just like the RSVPs to know what to expect. All right. So listen, I wanted, we were talking last week, and we're going to pick it up where we left off, about this crisis planning in this business about converting countable assets into non-countable assets. And we're going to jump into that, but I want to go over something first. And that is, a question came up. And the question was along the lines of this. 
if if you're a couple, and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about crisis planning right now. We're talking about couples first uh, before we talk about the individuals because the rules are different. But if you're talking about a couple, you know, I had a couple where the the wife was in nursing home care, and the nursing home is wanting to sue the husband for the care. And the husband's taken the position that he didn't, you know, he was unaware that she signed an agreement. Okay, so the wife was in care, and they, they made her sign an admission agreement. So she wasn't incompetent. She just needed some kind of physical care. And she signed the agreement, and the husband was unaware of it, nor was he acting at all as her power of attorney to give authority for that. And so he claimed that, or he, he tried to claim with the nursing home that, uh, you know, it's not his responsibility. You can't come after him personally for the wife's medical care. You know, and that's it was long-term care, but it was uh, still what we call medical care. So anyway, and I told, he asked if they can do that. And he said, you know what, I need somebody to get in there and, you know, show them up and put them in their place and, you know, so I don't have to pay this bill. Well, unfortunately, I had some bad news, and I guess if that is bad news, uh, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent doesn't matter. Let me tell you what the law is on that, because we follow the law, and if we don't like the law, well, that's kind of a bummer, but um, we follow it. You know, not following it can get you in a lot of trouble. Uh, you know, maybe you can change it, but that's difficult to do too. But anyway, but let me just tell you. And so I did a little research on that because when I told the gentleman that, I'm not sure he entirely believed me. He just felt pretty adamant about his position that. You know, I never signed anything, so how can I possibly be responsible? Okay, well, he is responsible. And if it were the other way around, if he was in and the wife was not, the wife would be responsible. Okay, now let me, and there's a doctrine called the doctrine of necessity, or necessaries. And that may, you know, something that comes from our old common law cause of action that, uh, you know, it's not codified in statute. You know, it's all based on on court decisions and that sort of thing. So, you know, if you, you know, there's a, uh, maybe some week I'll talk about the difference between those two. You know, some of the things in trust law, like our at domestic asset protection trust, you know, is a creature of statute, which means it can be changed at any time. But some of the stuff that we talk about, like the asset protection trust for long-term care, the income-only trust and that sort of thing, those are not creatures of statute. Those are developed through our common law, through case decisions and precedent. There, you know, there's no real statute that they can change to make that different. What they do is they change part of the Ten Care Act that affects how these things work, but they don't change the trust laws. So anyway, not getting off on that tangent, there's a case that came out here in Tennessee in 1997. Now, I, if you are a geek and want to go read it, let me give you the citation. It's a... Uh, it's called Outpatient Diagnostic Center. They're the, the appellant uh, versus um, Ralph Christian. So they're the appellee and Ralph Christian is the appellant. And it's out of Davidson County, the Davidson Circuit. And it came out April 30th of 1997. So it's been out for a while, right? 30 years or more. 35. So let me just read you the facts real quick. And we'll just spend a few minutes on this because this is this is what the law is. So don't don't feel like because you're made responsible for this, that's a real big disadvantage. We there's ways to put this to good use. So basically, we've got um, 
Back in 1993, Miss Marion Christian was her name, her physician referred her to Outpatient Diagnostic Center in Nashville for necessary medical tests relating to her diabetes. Miss Christian had no insurance and could not produce a Medicare card when she arrived for her test on July 2nd, 1993. Accordingly, she signed an agreement undertaking to pay the $534 fee in monthly payments on and on. And But apparently her husband, Ralph Christian, did not accompany his wife and was unaware that she had signed the agreement. Thereafter, Outpatient Diagnostic Center, they did the test and Miss Christian's illness prevented her from paying any part of the Outpatient Diagnostic Center's bill. So in May 1994, the center filed suit on a sworn account in the Davidson County General Sessions Court seeking to recover Ms. Christian's $534 debt from Mr. Christian. Mr. Christian pleaded um, uh, non-est factum in the General Sessions Court. He also asserted that Ms. Christian was not at, that Ms. Christian was not acting as his agent on July the 2nd, 1993, and that he had not ratified her debt. Well, the, the General Sessions Court ruled that he owed the debt. He appealed it. Appeal was de novo to the circuit court for Davidson County, and they went on and talked about it. It was really a, a, most of the case was about what we call summary judgment, whether that was appropriate or not. But we get to the end, Judge William Koch, who was an instructor of mine in Nashville School of Law, a uh, very intelligent person, they, he go, they go on in the last part of it, they decide to take something up. Now, it sounds like dicta to me, but I mean, it's good information. Dicta means something is not necessary to resolve the case, and the case got resolved on their decision on whether the summary judgment that the lower court made was proper or not. But let me just let me just read what they came up with, and they said, "We have decided, meaning the court, we the court, we have decided to address briefly the substantive legal issue involved in this case to aid the parties and the trial court on remand, because that's what they did. They vacated and remanded, which means they." made their ruling, and sent it back down for the court to do it right. So they're going to talk about this legal issue that's involved to aid the parties and the trial court on remand. Let me just continue reading. Even if Outpatient Diagnostic Center presents competent evidence of the circumstances discussed in Section 1 of this opinion, Mr. Christian asserts that he cannot be held liable for Ms. Christian's medical bill because she was not acting as his agent, when she signed the agreement to pay, and because he has never agreed to be responsible for the debt. Now, that makes sense, right, when you think about it. He didn't have anything to do with this, so he doesn't want to be held accountable. Now, I know it's only $534, but it's the principle. Then the court goes on to say, these arguments completely overlook a spouse's common law obligation to provide medical necessities for his or her spouse. Okay, now... Let, deeply embedded in the common law of this state, this is a Tennessee decision, right? Tennessee Appellate Court. Deeply embedded in the common law of this state. I'm sorry, this is the this is the Tennessee Supreme Court. Let me go back up here and take a look. No, this is in the Court of Appeals of Tennessee. This Judge Koch was on the Supreme Court, but it was, it was after that. Okay, so let me go back to this. Deeply embedded in the common law of this state is the doctrine that a husband has a duty to furnish his wife suitable support, including medical services during her life. And then they quote some other court cases. Um, uh, to the extent the common law flex, uh, liability is imposed 
for furnishing necessaries. Now, this doctrine does not depend on actual or apparent agency for its application. It means that don't, you, you don't have to have power of attorney or you don't have to be there and you don't have to ratify it. It, it, it operates simply because of the marriage. The only exception to the rule arises in circumstances where a spouse abandons the other spouse without just cause. And the only reason you get relief there is because it's, it looks like the, you, you don't have the marriage, right? You don't have the spousal relationship. Even though you're still married, you're abandoned, okay? And so they're not going to stick it to the husband if depending on who abandoned who, no. Other states confronting questions similar to the one involved in this case have held that the common law necessaries doctrine creates an obligation directly between the husband and the wife's creditor and that a husband can be held liable for necessity or for necessary medical services provided to the wife. Thus, a provider of medical services can make out a prima facie claim for recovery under the necessities doctrine by proving that. And then it goes on to say what the, the facility has to prove. One, uh, it, it provided the medical services. Two, the medical services were necessary uh, for their health, safety, and welfare. Three, the person for whom the recovery sought was married to the receiving spouse when the services were provided. And four, the payment of the services has not been made. So um, so here, here we have it ratified, this thing called the docking of necessaries that hold a spouse liable for the other spouse. Now, if you research this uh, even more, you can get back into some 1800s cases that talk about you started out that just the man was responsible for the woman. The, wo- the wife was not responsible for the man. And that is because the, uh, you know, back in, you know, women, if you're listening to this, don't get mad at me. I'm talking about some history. Back in the older days, uh, women couldn't vote. They couldn't own property. They really couldn't do hold a job. They couldn't do anything. And so they were considered more of a liability than an asset. And the husband had to take care of them. Again, don't get mad at me. I'm, I, I'm, it's a whole lot different now. Now that things have changed, the courts have kept up with the uh, with that. And they now acknowledge that the, the wife can be responsible for the husband's medical bills under the exact same doctrine because of that very thing. That are, Actually, that comes from, uh, that's laid out pretty tight in a case from 1983 called uh, Kilburn versus Hanselick. Uh, and they talk about the exact same thing. So there you have it. Um, you know, so if you thought, if you want to play something cute and say, well, I didn't sign that and therefore I don't have to pay it. And the wife can't pay it because she's indigent or unemployed. It's not a good legal defense. Okay, so let's let's just know. Now, the reason I bring this up is that this played right in with what we talked about last week or two about this CESRA, this Community Spouse Resource Allowance, how we're considering everything that the man owns collective, everything that the wife owns collective, and everything that you both own collective. And then we're going to count it all for whichever spouse is going in the nursing home, right? So it fits right into what we're talking about, and that's, you know, it doesn't say so, but I think that's probably the basis on where that comes from, okay, for them making that CESRA calculation. Certainly makes sense to me. It's the same basic concept, same basic philosophy. So, all right, so that's that. That's the common law doctrine of necessary. So we are coming up on break number one. So stay with me here on Bulletproof Estate Planning. I'm your host, Estate Plan Stan, and we'll be right back after this.
Hi, I'm Robert Rogers at Parks Motor Sales Buick GMC. And I'm Michael Parks Lawrence at Parks Motor Sales Buick GMC. Together, we're Mr. Bobby Parks' grandsons, and we run his dealership, and we are glad to be part of our local community. Being family-owned and operated, we invest heavily in our community. We do things like sports teams, schools, bands, you name it. We try to help everybody we can. The reason why we do this is because we all love this community. So come do business with us, your neighbors, at Parks Motor Sales in Columbia, Tennessee, right off Nashville Highway, or at ParksMotorSales.com. Hello, I'm Barbara Lincoln with Holland's Pharmacy. You may have heard our previous commercials about compression hosiery that we carry at Holland's Pharmacy. Well, we've recently expanded into a full line of knee braces, back, wrist, ankle, and other support wear. We will gladly help you get just the right fit for these items and, of course, special order items to ensure the proper fit. Come see us at Holland's Pharmacy, 1608 Hatcher Lane, or call us at 931-388-4233. 388-4233. Hi, I'm Steve, the Garbage Man. Have you been hauling your own garbage to the convenience center? Are you tired of doing it? Does your work schedule keep you from hauling it off regularly? Is your teenage son not taking it off like he promised when he got his driver's license? Do you have something better to do on Saturday? If any of these questions strike home to you, call the Garbage Man at 931-540-0919 and your problem will be solved. Do you suffer from knee pain? Is it painful to walk or perform your day-to-day activities? If so, we have great news at the Dr. Gill Center. We can relieve your knee pain fast and easy with no downtime and no surgery. The FDA has approved a new non-surgical treatment for knee pain, and it's covered by most major insurance, including Medicare. This treatment has helped millions of people across the nation. Call today to see if you qualify for a free consultation and get back to a pain-free life. 615-551-9224. I don't know about you, but I just love doing business with small businesses. You feel appreciated when you walk in, and they know your name. At Caledonian Financial, we try very hard to appreciate our clients. We value everyone, and we reject the idea that you're not worthy of advice if you don't have a certain amount of money. We love our neighbors, all of them. This is Monty Sneed with Caledonian Financial in historic downtown Columbia. Securities and investment advisory services offered through NBC Securities Incorporated. Member FINRA and SIPC. Life gets busy and sometimes slowing down to buy your family quality food can seem impossible. This is Terry Taylor with Taylor Family Farm, and we offer local home delivery in addition to our local drop locations to help with that problem. Now you can get your favorite pastured poultry, pork, and grass-fed beef delivered right to your door. Visit TaylorFamilyFarmTN.com to find out how. We believe in healthy food, healthy people, and healthy community at Taylor Family Farm. You're listening to your local radio, 101.7 WKOM, Columbia. Welcome back. Welcome back from the break. You are listening to Bulletproof Estate Planning with your host, Estate Plan Stan. And we were talking a little bit about some uh, a court case that came out, that the doctrine of necessities that shows the man is responsible for the spouse's medical bills, just like 
the wife is responsible for the husband's medical bills. And the reason I brought that up, I said, was it kind of plays right in with this concept of calculating the community spouse resource allowance when you have one spouse that has to go into long-term care. They consider all the assets collectively. They don't look at his and hers. They look at his, hers, and theirs as, as all the assets. So having something in just one person's name and saying, hey, I'm not responsible because I have nothing to do with that bank account of hers, it doesn't work. So that's the law. You know, if you don't like it, that's you don't like it. If you know, like it, love it, or somewhere in between, that's what we're bound to deal with. So, let's just figure out ways to make it work for us. Okay. So we're picking up where we left off last week. If you remember, just a real quick recap, we're talking about crisis planning and the strategies that you can do. And we said the big picture of all this crisis planning is. You know, the 10 Care Act talks about countable assets. That's the only category of assets it talks about. And, well, it does talk about other categories, but that's the only category that you have to be, you have to satisfy a certain criteria to be eligible. And that's what we want, to be eligible for 10 Care benefits. Now, if you have, to be eligible, you have to have less than $2,000 of countable assets. So we talked about the difference between countable and non-countable, and they are two different categories. As a matter of fact, there's quite a few subcategories to the non-countable category. And so we were talking about what if you can change a countable asset to a non-countable asset? Can you still qualify for benefits? And we said the answer was yes. So the concept was, suppose I have, if I have $500,000 of countable assets, can I be eligible for 10 care? The answer is no. You are over-resourced by $498,000, right? But what if I have $2,000 of countable assets and $498,000 of non-countable assets? Will I be eligible? The answer is yes, because the statute only addresses countable assets. Now, countable assets are most assets because it's you know, the must. I remember I said the word to think of in terms of countable is like available for the cost of care. So if you got money in the bank in any kind of format, checking account, savings account, CD, uh, anything in, like with an investment account or a retirement account or uh, you know stuff like that, uh, and then we get into real estate. You know your your home is countable, but you can exempt that. You know other real estate is definitely countable. So a lot of your assets are countable. But it doesn't mean we can't rearrange them and change their their characteristic and change their posture. That's what the word spend down means. You hear a lot of people say, oh, you got too much money, you need to spend it down. That's not what it means. What spend down means is to recategorize your property and, and kind of convert the countable assets to the non-countable assets. So what I want to talk about tonight is when we're talking about these strategies to do just that. We'll start out with some of the very basic ones. And there's some that are really straightforward, not much to them. But again, like I say, most of this all revolves around this simple series of maneuvers that kind of take advantage of this concept of a fair market value transaction. Remember we talked about, you know, things have to be for fair market value, kind of at arm's length for it to be a valid transaction. If it's less than that, they're going to categorize it as a gift. So one thing we can do, and I think I, I did a simple example at the end of last week about a car. So we'll come back to that because a car is a specific thing, but... Basically, you know, if we let's say we just want to purchase tangible personal property. Now, what is that? What is personal property? Well, there's only two kinds of property in all the world. 
That may surprise you, but one of them is land, a real property it's called. Real property is land and everything permanently attached to it. So if you have a house on land, you know, it's not like the house has its own deed. Um, The house goes with the, the land, so the house is part of the deed. So real property is land and everything permanently attached. And then personal property is everything else. So it's really not too hard to grasp. So people say, what about my tractor and my the stuff that hooks my tractor? Is it land and permanently attached to land? No. Then it's personal. What about my money in the bank? Again, it's not land. It's personal. What about my jewelry? Personal. <laughs> so you get the picture, right? Uh, if it's not land, and it's personal property. So let's say, you know, we... We want to make a, a consumer purchase of tangible personal property because if we have money in the bank, so let's just say, for example, we got $50,000 in a savings account. If we fill out the 16-page 10-care application and apply, they're going to reject or they're going to deny coverage because you're over-resourced, right? Well, what if we take the 50, because, you know, the 50000 in the bank is is countable, right? It's available for care. What if we took that $50,000 and purchased personal property with it. Now, we can do that. And the neat thing is there is no asset limit for the quantity or the value of personal items purchased that are held by the person, the individual. Okay, so you can you can buy stuff. I mean, uh, you can buy things like furniture upgrade. Uh, you can... Uh, uh, fix home improvements. You can buy new appliances. You can get better clothes, that sort of thing. I mean, I could go on and on. There's, you can come up with a bunch of different things. The only real caveat or the only real restriction is that you can't buy things that are deemed to be investment grade. Now, what does that mean? Okay, if you bought, if you used your money to buy gold bars, that would be investment grade. And so they would no longer be, it would still be countable investment grade, or if you purchase some very valuable things, okay, like, I don't know, some uh, Beatles memorabilia that was worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, stuff like that. That would be considered investment grade. So um, so there's really no though actual limit in the value, uh, which is pretty neat. I mean, now you can't really get crazy with this when there's only so much furniture you can buy and new appliances you can do. Um, so let's take, a, let's take a look at an example. Let's say you have a, uh, you want to buy a diamond necklace because this is kind of a, and this is how investment grade works. So you spend $100,000 on a diamond necklace. Now, is that investment grade? Let's just assume that it is, okay? A situation comes up, and that is how does, how does Medicaid or TenCare know that you spent $100,000 on this Diamond necklace. Well, I mean, they don't because if you look, most Medicaid applications, and ours included, the 16 pages of it, do not ask any questions about personal property. It doesn't say, what's your personal property? So, you know, they don't ask about that at all. And that kind of provides the closest thing to a loophole that kind of exists in the realm of Medicaid eligibility. So, um, so if you have a high piece of, per, of high value piece of personal property, if you have a high-valued piece of personal property at the time of the application, there's no question on the application where you have to disclose that. However, you got to keep this in mind. Because of this five-year look-back rule, when you apply, you know, we, t- we said when you apply for 10 care, 
The day you apply, you give them the right to look into your history for five years, 60 months. Now, if they do that, if they look into your history for 60 months and they see a, a expenditure of $100,000, they're going to ask about it. They're going to say, where does $100,000 go? And if it was like three years ago from the time you went into the nursing home, it's within their realm and within their statutory authority to ask. And, of course, you can't lie to them, or at least uh, we never do. And I certainly don't advise that ever. Um, but uh, so they say, well, what happened You know, what happened to this $100,000? You say, well, I bought a diamond necklace. Well, now they know about it. Now they can categorize that, and they would probably categorize that as investment grade, and they'd call it an accountable asset. What if you bought it six years ago? What if you bought it 72 months ago? Well, they, they won't see the transaction. And even if they do see the transaction, they do not have the jurisdiction to ask about it. They're limited to the 60 months. So, I mean, you can do this. Uh, and I, I've not known them ever to really ask about personal property. Actually, one time, it was like a $20,000 expenditure for somebody. And they, when they ask about it, we, it turns out they used the money to pave the driveway. You know, a pretty long driveway, and it cost them $18,000 or something for all that concrete. So, you know, we disclosed what it was, and that's certainly not investment grade. That's certainly the purchase of personal property. Uh, once once we purchased this personal property, it sort of became part of the real property, didn't it? So we got this, you know, we have this ability to buy personal property. So what we're doing when we do that is we're taking an accountable asset, which is money in the bank, and we're buying something that is now non-countable because TenCare does not go after personal property. Like I said, unless... It's investment grade, but for the most part, they don't go after it. So it's it's to them, personal property is considered a non-countable asset. And like again, I say you don't want to go crazy with this. You know, you don't want to re do home improvements and like you know trim the house out in gold. You know, something ridiculous. You know, uh, the standard is reasonably necessary. Now that's a pretty wide standard. So if you want to get all new furniture, all new appliances, better clothes, um, paint the house everywhere, fix the roof. Um, uh, get some structural people in there to fix the cracks in the basement. I mean, all that stuff would certainly fall in the category of reasonably necessary. Uh, ramps everywhere, handrails everywhere, if you've got somebody who's in a wheelchair, stuff like that, certainly reasonably necessary, and you're allowed to spend money on that. But the concept you're doing is taking a countable asset and turning it into a non-countable asset. Now, when you do that, you're not really preserving your wealth that much. In other words, you're not preserving the wealth to pass on to another generation, which is what a lot of people want to do because you're spending on stuff. So if you do get a furniture upgrade and you leave it to your kids and they, when you pass away, it's not like they inherited a lot of wealth, right? Because it's now it's secondhand furniture. Furniture can't be worth much. You get the idea. So we're not really accomplishing the goal of keeping all the money in the family, but we are accomplishing the goal that we can spend this money on something and get make things a little better around the house without spending it on the cost of care. So, now, when we're talking about spending things on the house, there's several things we can do with the with the, the homestead, these homestead advantages. And like I just said, one of them can be if, you know, you can, re, you can renovate the house. So, you know, but again, you don't want to get crazy with this, but, you know, if you have a $100,000 house, probably don't want to spend $50,000 renovating it. 
But if you got a two or three hundred thousand dollar house and you want to do an upgrade or put it, you actually add a whole addition to the house. You can do that, a complete addition. You know, as long as the improvements don't bring the the equity in the house above the equity cap. Now, Tennessee does have an equity cap on houses, and right now, as of July first, two thousand twenty-three, that cap is six hundred eighty-eight thousand dollars. So if if you you know you're not doing yourself any favor if you renovate the house, you put a bunch of money in the house, and you bring it up to seven hundred fifty thousand dollars worth, then you you know the the amount over the six hundred eighty-eight thousand is going to be considered countable. I guess it's more of a math problem. You could probably salvage something out of that, but but it's that's not what we want to do. So you can do these renovations to the house, and again, these renovations, you know, you're pretty much painting onto a blank canvas because it, the stat the standard is just they have to be reasonably necessary. Okay. Now another one you can do another homestead advantage is you can buy a new house. Now this is not used often, but it's an interesting concept. So let's say you got a um, you got a hundred thousand dollars homestead, okay? You know, and really, it's hard to have a hundred thousand dollar personal residence these days because the way property is, uh, even probably the most tobacco road, tar paper shack kind of thing is worth a hundred thousand or more. But let's just say, for argument's sake, you have a hundred thousand dollar personal residence, and you got five hundred twenty some thousand dollars in countable assets, okay? So that puts you about a four hundred thousand dollars above what the protected amount is, right? Because the the hundred thousand dollars in the homestead, certainly for a married person, is an either excluded or exempt asset. So you got four hundred thousand dollars above that. So so you could sell the hundred thousand dollar house, and then you can use the proceeds from that sale along with the four hundred thousand dollars of excess resources that you have, and you can purchase a five hundred thousand dollar house. Now. The advantage of this, the reason if you would do this, the advantage of it really is that once you do it, you're gonna you're gonna make the the patient, the the person that's applying for ten care, you're gonna make the applicant immediately eligible for ten care. Since the home's a protected asset, the equity is and now the equity is below the six hundred eighty eight thousand dollars, so the remaining countable assets are now below the protected amount, which means. You you by making this purchase you saved four hundred thousand dollars and got immediately eligible. Now that's a situation where you really kind of would have an asset to leave to your kids um, if you wanted to. A lot of people I don't see this happen much, and here's one one thing why I think that's the case, and that is a lot of times in my generation, you know, the baby boomers, uh, you know, people were kind of raised to scrimp and save and not be foolish with their money. And just sometimes when you get into later life and you're in your retirement years and you're thinking about care or it's harder to get around, it's harder to mow the grass and keep up with stuff, you know, buying a house and upgrading is kind of in the opposite direction of what most people's thought process is. A lot of people have a pretty nice big house and when they're older years or later years, they kind of think about downsizing. Uh, but it's, it's here and you see how it works. Now, if even though it's not used very often, the, the real takeaway here is the way we're using the rules to our advantage. You know, I, I have done this a time or two, and now we have a very nice personal residence that we can leave to our children. It's not cash, but it could be cash once you give it to them, because it's not like leaving them uh, secondhand furniture or you, you upgraded all your clothes 
or you got new appliances, I mean, you know, you leave that stuff to them and, you, it's, you know, stuff's junk in just a couple of years, right? So, but here you got a house, a half million dollar house you can leave them. Now, that's property and land that's only going to accrue. I mean, land always, I mean, it has its ups and downs, but for the basic part, it's always an up, upslope. You know, it's always like three steps up and two steps back. So it's always gaining value. So that's a pretty neat strategy, uh, and we can use that. Another thing is that I taught, that when I left the hour last week, I finished up by talking about you know, maybe buying a vehicle. There's kind of a similar strategy here, and it's, it kind of goes like this. Let's, see, let's say you got a $5,000 car. Okay, you're entitled to have one car regardless of value. And the car needs to be the primary transportation for the community spouse, okay, for the, the spouse that stays at home. But you're entitled to one vehicle regardless of value. So you have a $5,000 clunker, okay? Now the question is, well, can I get a, can I buy a $20,000 car? Well, you're entitled to one vehicle regardless of value. So I guess the answer is yes. So let's let's take an example. Let's say you've got $5,000 clunker and you got $50,000 of resources in the bank. $50,000 in a bank that you're over-resourced. What if we sell the clunker and get, let's just say we get $5,000 for it and take the $50,000 in the bank and go buy a $55,000 Lexus or a Mercedes? Can you do that? Well, the answer is yes. I mean, it satisfies the statute, one vehicle regardless of value. You know, I often make the argument, I've never done this, but could you go buy a, a Tesla for $125,000? Well, the answer is yes. As long as it's the primary means of transportation for the community spouse, it is one vehicle regardless of value. So, you know, can we, that's a way to put money and get, when you, and again, when you do that, if you can spend your excess assets on this tangible personal property vis-a-vis the vehicle, you make the applicant spouse immediately eligible because you converted all the countable assets that were keeping you from being eligible to non-countable assets thereby now making you eligible. So, yeah, I mean, you could do it. You can get an Austin Martin for $300,000 or, you know, I guess you could buy a mobile, uh, a motor home for a couple hundred thousand dollars. I don't know how you could argue that's the main uh, mode of transportation, but I guess it's possible. So, all right, listen, uh, we're going to pick it up with this and we're going to continue on with this concept because of some of these basic strategies to get eligibility. And we'll, we'll be right back after this break. So, you're listening to Bulletproof Estate Planning. I am your host, Stan Prochowski, Estate Plan Stan, and we'll be right back after this. A time of love, a time of hate, a time of war, a time of peace, a time you may embrace, a time to refrain Do you have a loved one who's either in long-term care or going to be soon? Are you worried about losing everything you own, everything that you've worked for your entire life? If so, we can still do crisis planning and protect the majority of your property. If you have a loved one in this situation, call me, Estate Plan Stan at Prochowski Estate Law. From a little information, I will generate a written report explaining how much property we can protect. Don't go broke just because you require long-term care. Call me, 931-363-7222. 
Murray County Volunteer Firefighters provide fire and rescue services to Murray County residents like you. I'm Savannah Madison, Public Information Officer with Murray County Fire. Our department serves over 600 square miles, and as a volunteer department, we rely on community donations to operate. You can also support by joining our department. We help you obtain the certifications to become a support member or firefighter. Learn more about making a tax-deductible donation or becoming a firefighter at murraycountyfiretn.org. That's murraycountyfiretn.org. At Columbia Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Fiat, you can always count on us for a great selection of late model, low mileage, one owner vehicles. All have been thoroughly inspected and are ready to go. You can even save time and buy online with our online shopping tool. Looking to sell your vehicle? Great news! We're paying top dollar for your trade. All makes, all models, and in any condition. Trade in and trade up today. At Columbia Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Fiat, you can count on us. Terry Tillis from Tillis Jewelry. Let's talk about antique versus vintage jewelry. Did you know antique jewelry is over 100 years old and vintage is 50 to 100 years? Tillis Jewelry, located downtown Columbia, has a wonderful collection from Georgian, Victorian, Edwardian, and Art Deco. We select every piece for their timeless beauty. Stop by and select your favorite piece. Jewelry to last a lifetime. Remember, Tillis Jewelry, your antique and vintage jewelry store. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning is built to a higher standard, so you can focus on the problems in your life that actually matter, like the stair that only creaks when everyone else in the house is asleep. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, built to a higher standard. Call Davis Heating and Cooling at 931-388-2090 for all your home comfort needs. Davis Heating and Cooling is your local American Standard dealer and proudly serves the Murray County area. Find Davis Heating and Cooling online and on Facebook or call today, 388-2090. This is Trip Stoltz, owner and manager at Columbia Ace Hardware. We have changed our store hours to better serve our community. Columbia Ace Hardware is now open from 7 to 7, Monday through Friday, from 8 to 4 on Saturday, and closed on Sunday. Come see us at 112 East James Campbell Boulevard and let us show you customer service that can only be found at Columbia Ace Hardware. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. Hello, this is John McEwen with McEwen Group Real Estate, located at 17A Public Square in beautiful downtown Columbia. Our family has over 40 years' experience selling farms, residential, recreational, and all types of real estate here in Middle Tennessee. Check us out online at McEwenGroup.com or on Facebook and Instagram at McEwen Group, or give me a call today at 931-628-1749. McEwen Group, land is your legacy. This is Coach Traders Golf from Columbia Central High School Football. You are listening to 101.7 WKOM in Columbia, Tennessee. Right. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back from the break. You are listening to Bulletproof Estate Planning, and I am your host, Estate Plan Stan. And if you've been listening, we've been talking about this concept of crisis planning and some of the basic strategy we use to get ourselves eligible for to receive 10 care benefits by not going broke. 
there's ways we can do that. And we're, what we're doing in, in the grand scheme of things is we are converting countable assets into non-countable assets. And we talked about pur- you know, purchasing tangible personal property, uh, t- purchasing a new home, purchasing renovations or, or improvements into a home. Uh, so there's several things we can do. And, but these, are, these strategies are very fundamental in nature. Uh, we're going to get involved in some uh, some next week that are like unsellable or inaccessible assets. You know, there's several categories of assets that we can deal with. So uh, let me continue because probably have enough time in this last segment to go over what we call a prepaid funeral or burial. You may have heard that, you know, you can buy funeral stuff now during life. Now, this is an interesting concept. Now, I, I always encourage this, even with my trust plans I do, folks. I, we have a document that, you know, if you have a prepaid funeral disposition, you can record it in the in your trust plan so that your heirs know what you want done. And I encourage that. And here's why I encourage it. First of all, your expenses, I mean, your your estate is going to pay for that no matter what, right? Uh, that's an estate expense. So your estate's going to pay for your your final arrangements. But if you purchase that stuff during life, you can usually get a substantial discount. Plus, if it's important to you, you can be kind of picky about what you get. Now, that's all over. That runs the whole gamut of people's choice. I mean, some people say, I don't care. And other people get over the top on what they want, right down to the clothes they want to wear, the songs to be sung, the music to be played. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying one thing good or bad about it. I mean, if it's important to you, then I say, you know, nail it down. If you don't care, then you don't care. So, But what's important is there are a lot of decisions that you take off the plate of your heirs. So, you know, if whenever you have a, a death in the family, you know, it's like, doesn't it seem like there's like 30 decisions that have to be made all in the next hour? And you feel a little overwhelmed. And you, certainly when you make the decision, you certainly don't feel like you know whether or not you're making the right decision or not. I've seen people argue and fight over whether a person should be cremated or buried because, you know, they never knew what the person wanted. They never memorialized it. And some people just hate the idea of being cremated and say, I'm not cremating, Mom. And the other family says, well, cremating is the easiest thing to do. It's the least expensive. And they fight over it. Well, if you knew you wanted cremated, you could memorialize that. And then when your time came, at least your kids, they may not like what you're doing, but at least they would know that they are doing what you wanted, right? So there's an advantage to that. And I encourage it. And like I said, you can get a pretty good deal. Now, I want to draw a difference between purchasing prepaid funeral or burial uh, products and services versus what we call a funeral trust. The difference between the two is when you prepay for stuff, you actually buy it now. You buy the casket. You buy the headstone. You buy the funeral home time. You buy the services at the funeral home, and you pay for it now. And so you get a list of what you actually bought. And you know, I guess that could, you know, could be a short list or it could be a really long list, depending on what, you're, what is important to you. So, um, and that, there's really no limit on that. I mean, you can't, if you buy that, that's a, you're certainly is a compensated transfer, right? I mean, you're getting something for it. You're not overpaying or underpaying it. You might have an extravagant funeral, but you're not underpaying for it. You're paying for the whole thing. You're just paying a lot for it. So, I mean, so it's a compensated transfer. It's not a gift. And it's, uh, you know, it's not a divestment. It is a compensated transfer. And therefore, 
you know, that can't really be questioned because the wisdom of how you spend your money is not in question. Now, the other thing is a funeral trust. A funeral trust is where you can put money into a trust and it's for your services, although those services have not really been nailed down just yet. You know, they have a good and services list. But now in Tennessee, that number is capped for a funeral trust is capped at $6,000. If you pre-purchase stuff, it, the cap is not. Okay. So anyway, so uh, again, one is we actually buy the stuff, the headstone, the coffin, uh, the casket, stuff like that, the vault. You actually buy all that stuff. And the other one is you have money set aside to buy it. And so if, if you put it in a funeral trust, you can do that. But the funeral trust has to be irrevocable and unassignable. It means once you do it, you can't change it. And the reason they do that is you know, TenCare says we'll let you do that, but you've got to make it irrevocable and unassignable. So after you get approved, you can't go cash this trust out now and then have the money. Okay. It is earmarked for that. Now, I wish the cap was higher because, you know, you can't get much done for 6000 So I wish the, you know, I would like to say I wish the cap was higher, but uh, that's what it is. So, okay. So, but again, you know, you can purchase this stuff ahead of time. And, you know, a lot of people do. They buy plots. They buy headstones. They buy the casket. They buy the lining to the casket. They buy uh, the vault or the stuff the stuff that you don't really think about that goes in there. You know, they, uh, they pay the services, the grave digger services. And, you know, if you don't die for another 20 years, I mean, that's what you pay because you've already paid for it. And so those prepaid services you can get at a discount. And like I said, since your estate's going to pay for it anyway, I encourage it. And it's decisions your kids do not have to make. Don't and I, I really hate the idea of putting them in the position of making those decisions unless I was pretty clear about what I wanted. But even then, they have to deal with paying for it out of the estate. You know, right? So again, what we're doing is we're converting uh, our countable assets into, non, into a non-countable asset. So just like purchases with the house or upgrades with the house, you know, there's no problem with doing this. All right, so uh, we're getting close to the end of the hour. So, you know, next week we're going to pick it up here. We're going to talk about some of these little more advanced asset eligibility strategies. You know, we get into some different stuff. The unavailable, non-sellable assets, the unavailable assets, the um, uh, the uh, inaccessible assets, some you know, personal services contract. We've got, person, we got income-producing property. We've got annuities and promissory notes. We've got um, all kinds of... Uh, Special things we can do, like that involve strategic divestments, you know, um, that sort of thing. Then, we, then uh, you know, in the weeks to come, we're going to get into some of the more difficult and some of the complex transfers that we can do to save money. So kind of depends on how much you got to save. So, all right, listen, I'm about out of time. Uh, where does it go? I don't know. But listen, if what I've talked about this week has piqued your interest, I'm glad about that. Uh, my mission is to get this message out. When it comes to estate planning, you have options, lots of options. So if you have any questions about your own family circumstances, I'm more than happy to take the time to answer. So call my office at 931-363-7222, or you can go to my website at estateplanstand.com. That's estateplanstand.com, and you can set up one of my 15-minute phone calls. That way, my time and attention is going to be dedicated to your question. So the seminar is coming up July the 29th. That's a Saturday 
That's at 10 o'clock in the morning. That's going to be at the um, Star Theater, located right on the square in downtown Pulaski. The address there at the theater is 105 North 1st Street. So sign up for that. Will's Trust in the Nursing Home, and you'll be, you know, you'll be glad you did. So I always say that doing nothing has a predictable result, right? All right. Well, listen, thank you for listening. I, I hope you enjoyed doing the show as much as I enjoy doing it, because I do. I really do like doing this. So I'll be back on Front Porch Radio, WKOM 101.7 FM, next Saturday night at 7 o'clock p.m. for the next episode of Bulletproof Estate Planning. And I am Estate Plan Stan. See you next week. The NASCAR Cup Series heads to Pennsylvania. Brett Dalton on top of the flag stand puts the green flag in the air, and we're racing at Pocono. Who will conquer the tricky triangle? Chastain with a small advantage on the outside. Hamlin is right there, puts the squeeze on him, puts him up, and he's in the wall. It's the HighPoint.com 400. 12.30 Sunday, July 23rd on WKOM 101.7 FM. Are you thinking about a new fence? Maybe you need a pole bar. Then you should give Sands Fence Company a call. That's 931-309-1644. Will Sands has built his business based on the principles of honesty, quality, and integrity. Sands Fence Company has been in business for over 20 years, providing the community with farm, residential, and commercial fencing, as well as pole barns and buildings. Call today for a free estimate. Sands Fence Company, 931-309-1644. 931-309-1644. For 40 years, the Jewelers Bench has worked hard for their customers and provided the highest quality jewelry at the best price. They keep going back. Recent renovations have allowed them to expand their inventory. More high-quality jewelry, custom vintage and estate pieces, and professional jewelry and watch repairs. They also buy gold. The Jewelers Bench, still here, still great service. 808 Trotwood Avenue, Columbia. Hey, this is Derek Ransom with Ten Pin Alley, voted number one family entertainment center in Murray County. We offer 32 bowling lanes, giant arcade, laser tag, bumper cars, and a full cafe and bar menu. We also specialize in group events, kids and adult birthday parties, company parties, sports team parties, and holiday parties. We're located at 322 East James Campbell Boulevard in Columbia. Call us today at 931-381-BOWL or visit us at tenpin.com. Ten Pin Alley, it's where the good times roll. Throughout the country, buried pipelines are indicated by a pipeline right-of-way. A long, wide stretch of grass cleared of trees and marked with signs. If you have a right-of-way near your home, do not plant anything in it or dig in it. Do not install a fence or build your kids a super cool fort without first getting the pipeline operator's approval. For more on pipeline safety, visit pipesafety.org. A message from the Tennessee Gas Association, Tennessee Association of Broadcasters, and this station. 
All right, welcome back, everybody. This is T. Willie. I've got our good grocer over there, Mr. Miles Johnson, on the phone. Miles, how's everything going today at Foodland? Oh, everything's going great today. How about yourself? Oh, man, it's going wonderful. And as always, you got some amazing uh, deals I know for us. Yeah, that's right. We have ground beef for three nineteen a pound, whole New York strip five ninety nine a pound, seedless watermelons five ninety nine each, and Coca Cola twelve packs two for thirteen. Wow, some good deals over there. So people need to come on over there, over to West 7th Street, and right over by where the post.